0: Hi, this is Dan Augsburger. You are about to listen to the first part of a multi-part series of presentations made in the Stansborough Park Church in Watford, England, that's a suburb north of London, on the construction and the dedication of the Temple of Solomon. Uh, the presentation you're about to hear is an overview, where I discuss the comparisons between the four temples that are mentioned in In the Bible, the first one being the tabernacle constructed by Moses in the wilderness, the second one being Solomon's temple, the third one being the second temple built after the exile, and finally what I refer to as the temple of our heart. Uh, There's, of course, another temple, that is the temple up in heaven in the heavenly sanctuary, but uh, we do not discuss that in this particular presentation. But anyway... Uh, this is where I give an overview of the entire series. It was given for the Sabbath morning service at eleven o'clock, again at the Stanbrook Park uh, Seventh Adventist Church in Watford, England. I hope you're blessed. I wanted to underscore our willingness to pray and to encourage you to come out this week to pray. Prayer is a precious, precious gift. It is not sufficiently exercised in our day. I remember when I was in India a few years ago speaking at meetings, the pastor announced, without even asking me, uh, to the members that I would be praying at 6 o'clock in the morning with the members. I was willing to comply, and they came out. And uh, I remember one morning a a young girl came, an an Adventist teenager, with her Hindu friend. They explained to me that uh, she was failing in school. Because she was Hindu and still had the marks of being a Hindu, I didn't know if I should pray or not. But I did. If God put it on her heart, the least I could do was to pray for her. And she came back that evening saying, something has happened, something's changed in my life. And she came every night that week. I uh, don't think she understood that much because as a Hindu, her worldview and her understanding of, of the Bible is so different from ours, she couldn't have possibly really understood much. But she began writing me and asking if uh, I would pray and I encouraged other young people in India to pray for her. And she began passing those examinations and she passed her school where before she had been failing so badly she was staying in her room out of embarrassment over her grades. I returned the the next year. I was in Bangalore. Bangalore is a city of about 10 million people. I was in New York City last week and they said that's a city of around 10 million. I don't know if that's true or not, but... If so, Bangalore is a very big city, and I was at the Spencer Road Hospital Church, and uh, there in that church, um, I mean in that hospital, I was to have met someone for lunch. They didn't show up, so another employee took me to a Chinese restaurant quite late, and we had a leisure meal without any thought of some kind of agenda. Finally, we left, and I went back to the hospital where I was to meet with people. That evening, I was able to talk with this young woman. Her name is Seema, and she said, Uncle, Uncle, you wouldn't believe it. Today, when I was coming down the road in an auto rickshaw, those, that's those little three-wheeled tricycle kinds of things that they use in India, she said, I saw you come out of a restaurant and I knew you were in Bangalore. Now imagine that. We're in a city of some like 10 million people and at the same moment that I'm coming out of the restaurant, she's there and she recognized that it was something larger than just coincidental. I met with her the next day and she said, she said, Dan, she said, not only have I passed examinations, but I'm in a really good school now, and I'm not the best student in class, but I'm the second best student in class, and I, my dream now is to get a Ph.D. in nutrition. And she says, it's because you are willing to pray for me. Now, it's not my prayers that made the difference. It's what God did. But God will honor His people when we're willing to ask Him. And I'd like to suggest this morning that all of you can do far more in simple ways to touch the lives of people around you than you could possibly imagine. It reminds me of a story of a famous Scottish revivalist, a man by the name of Duncan Campbell. Maybe some of you have read of Duncan Campbell. He was holding revival meetings. I'm guessing this would have been in the New Hebrides. And he visited a home where they had just installed electricity. And the lady very proudly showed him to her home. He could see the wires She showed him the appliances that were there. This is, you know, in in the early days of electricity, at least when it came to the islands. She was able to show him where the the wires came through, etc., the appliances and also the manuals. He expected a demonstration, but she explained to him that something had happened, that during the night a ship's anchor had caught the wire, broken the wire, so that though the, the house was perfectly wired and everything was prepared, there was no electricity. And he said... In contemplating this, it reminded him of what happens too often in the church. We have all the accoutrements of spirituality. We have the buildings. We have the, you know, the microphones, the cameras, the, the instruments of music. We have the members and we have manuals galore. But there's something missing often. Not just here. I've been all around the world. It's true everywhere. And that is the life of Jesus manifesting itself in a real way in our hearts and in our lives. Well, Rose and I are here this week not to amuse ourselves or or to impress you, just to be faithful servants of the Lord Jesus. And when you come next week, we're going to be spending time learning about how God wants to bring blessing into our lives. And we're also going to be taking time to pray. And uh, I pray the Lord that you will come because I believe it can be a a life-changing experience. Not because I'm so clever, But because as we seek the Lord together, more promises, more power has been promised. I know this is a long introduction, but I really hope you will come. We're going to learn, as I said, about these four temples. And I've never really quite thought of it that way. But, you know, in the Bible, when the children of Israel crossed the wilderness, Moses was instructed to build a tabernacle, right? We know about that tabernacle, right? Later, Solomon is asked by his father David to build a temple, which is amazing. Then after that had been destroyed due to the wandering and the backsliding of the people, they built a second temple and it wasn't quite as pretty as that one of Solomon's and some people cried over it. They were not real thrilled about what was happening. But it's interesting that Haggai told them that actually this temple is more beautiful than, than the last because it would also have a greatness about it but then that one was also sadly destroyed right and jesus came and on the day of pentecost uh, a new temple so to speak was, was 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 constructed and that was the temple of the heart and i believe jesus said greater works than these That when the Holy Spirit is really resident in our hearts like he wants to, there will be a miracle working power in our lives that that even the press and the neighbors will know about. Someone said that until our neighbors know that there's something supernatural about our lives, that they're not going to be very interested. They're going to say, well, you have your hobby, we have our hobby, we are as good as you. Unless they see there's something of God in us, we should not expect them to be interested. My favorite quotation on church growth goes something like this. When people see that God is with us, then a multitude, not of our faith, will join us in serving the Redeemer. And I say this respectfully without throwing stones. But I believe the issue is not buildings. I don't believe the issue is advertising. It is the presence of God in our midst that is the problem today with the dwindling attendance in our churches. Not throwing stones. That's true everywhere I've been in the world, and it's true, by the way, in my life too, okay? We all share the same problem. So I want to talk with you a little bit about these four temples just to examine some facts because I think they will speak to you about what the new church is all about. Without Jesus, that sanctuary is just like the woman who had the nice house with the wiring and the lights and the appliances and the manuals, okay? Looked good, but but that which it was all about was lacking. Well, in Exodus 25, verse 8, if you want to look that up, we're going to look at some Bible verses, and sometimes I'll just tell you what they say. But this is a key text on what your new sanctuary will be about. Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, And let them make me a sanctuary, Exodus 25, verse 8, for what purpose? That I may dwell among them. God wants to dwell among us. And that was the purpose of the temples that were constructed. So God could be there in the midst of his people. In another verse, uh, God told Moses, There I will meet with the children. I will dwell among them. I will be their God. And when you come to church, it's not just to hear the pastor. It's especially to meet with God. And so I ask you a, a personal question. When you've come this morning, have you come prepared to really meet God? I mean, you're around your friends, you know, you're seeing the service, but if Jesus were to come, how would it be? A.J. Gordon, a famous pastor of the past, said he once had a dream, a very troubling dream. And uh, in his dream, he saw a stranger come into the church, sat down next to him, and he could not keep his eyes off that person. He didn't know what was going on, and so... At the end of the service, he rushed to the back door to try and greet this person, but they'd already slipped out. And so when the the man sitting next to this individual came out the door, he said, well, who was that? Who was that? And the man said, it was Jesus. Jesus came to your church today. And A.J. Gordon asked the question, what did Jesus think of my church? I was there to represent him, to speak his sermons. Was he pleased with my sermon if Jesus were to come and sit next to you? Would he feel comfortable? Would he be happy? The same is true for me. When when that first tabernacle was built there in the wilderness, it was that God might dwell amongst his people. Where did the plans come from? Some of these things you know. For the first tabernacle, Moses obtained them on the mount. You can read about that later. Take notes if you want to. We don't have the time. Look at Exodus 25, verse 9. He was told, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern, just so you shall make it. In terms of Solomon's temple, his father David gave him the directions, and he said, I receive these directions from the Spirit. So once again, very specific plans were given, and it was built according to the plan. The the second temple, it doesn't say. But the third temple, the temple which is of the Holy Ghost, is, is given right here in God's owner manual, right here. That's where the plan's for the, for the fourth temple. Now, how were the materials provided? For the first tabernacle, if you want to look at Exodus 25, verse 2, if you still have it there, we can read that. Exodus 25, verse 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. He was told to go and ask for the people to give willing offerings. That's why the the Bible verse here was about willing in the day of God's power. And the people gave. So much so, in fact, that that Moses said, you've given enough. In uh, Solomon's temple, you can read in 1 Chronicles 29 how the leaders... Uh, came and they gave willingly. And once again, there were people who were giving willingly to make it possible to to build. And I saw your sign showing, you know, how you've been raising money. Praise God for that. Um, The second temple, the people also gave willingly. Ezra 2 speaks of how they offered freely for the house of God to erect in its place according to their ability. So as people were able, they gave and they gave willingly. And for the temple of our hearts, it says, uh, for example, in 2 Corinthians 9, that God lives a, loves a cheerful giver. Okay? God wants us to not only give, however, our money, what does he want even more? He wants ourselves. Have you given yourself to the Lord Jesus? You know, unless you've given yourself to the Lord Jesus, you really haven't given yourself to him at all. We continue. Who led the construction? The first tabernacle, uh, it was Bezalel. And if you want to look at Exodus 31. During the week, we're going to unpack this uh, and look at actually an angle between all of this that we're not talking about this morning. But I just wanted to give you the overview of where we're going. Exodus 31, verse 2 says, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. God said, I have called someone and I have filled him with a wisdom that will be needed to do all those beautiful things. Now, if you would, look up 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7. Now, this is Solomon, and he writes, he's writing actually here, the king of Tyre, and he says, therefore, send me at once a man skillful to work in gold and silver. For the first tabernacle, God says, I have chosen someone, and I've gifted this person, but Solomon, he actually writes to a pagan king and says, send me someone. And uh, that king responds, says, I have chosen a cunning man or a skillful man. It's interesting that uh, we're going to learn that that wasn't God's plan. See, God knows what he's doing and sometimes we look here and there for ideas and how we, we should be God's people, but we need to look to Jesus, okay? And we're going to discover next week that, that the mischief that, that Solomon got into began when he, be, when he was building the temple. I'd never realized that before. But he actually introduced pagan influences when he invited these workers and later in his desire to have a better temple than everyone else, other mischief took place. Please come during the week. Now the, the third temple, we don't know, uh, there wasn't a, a one leader, but we know that Zerubbabel was there to over, oversee the work and they all worked together. And the fourth temple, the Holy Spirit wants to superintend. Okay? Now, how did God signify his approval? Look if you would. Now at Exodus 29, verses 43. Exodus 29, 43. It says there, it says, the tabernacle, towards the end of the verse, shall be sanctified by what? By my glory. God would show his approval by actually sending his glory, his presence, into the tabernacle. Now, let's think about those four temples. In uh, the first tabernacle from Exodus 40, I'll read this for you. It says, And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was unable. In other words, when they completed it, God's glory entered into that tabernacle, and there was no mistaking that God was present. What happened at the second temple? The, uh, rather, Solomon's temple. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 5 if you want to you can look that up. Second Chronicles chapter 5. I'm just giving you the overview this morning. The how comes during the week. Chapter 5 verse 13 and 14 says indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, his mercy endures forever, etc., that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. Okay? After it had been constructed, you know, after they had come into unity, after they were praising God, it says the glory of God descended and filled that temple. Once again, God showed his approval by his presence. What about the second temple? Was it ever filled with a cloud of glory? No, it wasn't. But it was filled later by, the, by Jesus himself, and that's why Haggai could speak of how a greater glory would come to that temple. Now this is a very important point, my brothers and sisters. We do not live in an era where we're supposed to have you know, these, these gold-gilded temples, these, these things that would later be known as one of the ancient wonders of the world, But we are to have the presence of Jesus in our lives. And when in the last temple of what I'm referring to, the temple of our hearts, when Jesus came to his people through the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, there was no doubt, it says, that all were filled. And when people looked at them, what did they say? They knew that they'd been where? That they had been with Jesus. My brothers and sisters, it's a hard question to ask myself, but I want to ask all of you is God's presence in your life showing proof, showing proof that you have a temple of the Holy Spirit in your life. Please don't be offended by my questions. They're they're serious questions. Okay? Serious questions. How did the glory compare? I've just talked about it. The first tabernacle it was small, outwardly not showy, but beautiful within. Okay? There was a beauty within. The second... Solomon's temple was opulent on the outside and on the inside, but there were some seeds planted that later took things the wrong way. For the second temple, it wasn't as beautiful, but Jesus came and the temple of our hearts, it was marvelously beautiful through the presence of the Holy Spirit. What kind of people did God use to complete that temple? What do we know about Moses? Moses was what? He was a great leader, but he was also what? He's known as something of all the world. The the meekest man, the most humble man that ever lived. And if you read the Bible, and we're going to be looking at this Thursday evening, God's blessings and meekness and humility come together. I'm going to share you the secret of power that I don't think most of us think about very much, but it's throughout the Bible. Okay, Moses was the meekest man in all the earth and he's the one that, that in effect led the construction. Solomon's temple, David wanted to build it and what happens? He's told, no, you're not the one and he had to humble himself in accepting God's plan and he gave it over to Solomon. Okay, the second temple, they came in spite of opposition and it wasn't what they wanted but they had to accept that and in the temple of our hearts, That temple is constructed when we humbly submit ourselves and walk with God. We will look at that this week. Now, when the temples were completed, was God present? Absolutely. In the first temple, he was there by way of glory, and it was throughout all the symbols that were found within that temple. In Solomon's temple, there was both the presence of God and the symbols. The second temple, it was Jesus. And in the temple of our hearts, it should be the Holy Spirit. But what was the purpose to come back? It was so that God could dwell and meet with his people. My brothers and sisters, unless we are living in a way, and I'm going to use the word we because I could be sitting there next to you, unless we are living in such a way that God, through the Holy Spirit, feels comfortable coming to our churches, our church will be an empty building even if it's filled with people. Did you hear me? Because the, the, the temple is there as a place where God can be with his people, but in our hearts. Did you hear me? That should be the measurement of our success. Not people. Not people. You can, fill, you can fill venues with millions of people, thousands of people, right? Without difficulty. But it's the presence of Jesus that will draw people um, to our churches so they were willing what does it mean to be willing what does it mean to be willing to be willing means to be cheerful in giving or doing something are we willing to give our lives to jesus and to do it cheerfully and willingly are we willing to do it even holding our bibles and saying lord by your grace i want to know what this word says and i want to follow what your word teaches are we willing to give ourselves? Are we willing to surrender our lives to Jesus? In the Bible, you have mention of people like the Bereans who willingly gave themselves to study and learn so that their lives could change. We have the story of the Macedonians who learned that there was a great need in Jerusalem, and they not only gave what they could, but they gave beyond because they were, they were pleased to do something in gratitude to Jesus. And we are Christians today because people during the era of the Reformation were willing to give their lives if necessary for the sake of truth. Are we willing to give? In the Bible, though, there's also people who willingly give themselves to other things. We find in the story, for example, of of Aaron and the golden half, the people were willing to give their gold to to put up a calf. And there's a lot of people today who, who aren't so sure about giving to the church, but they'll give to other things that they find more dear. I pray that that is not true. Some of us, including myself, we need to... We examine our priorities in our lives to see if, if we're cheerfully serving the world more than Jesus. Okay? The Bible also mentions people who, who willingly give themselves to ignorance they don't want to know more. Please, my life is planned already. I'm happy with how things are going. Don't bother me. I would rather remain in ignorance. How sad to be willing in ignorance. My brothers and sisters, when we know Jesus as he wants to be known, Our lives will be the most amazing, happy, healthy, happy lives we could possibly have. Christians should be the happiest people. And if we are not happy, it's possible that we have, using biblical language, taken up the yoke of the world and tried to find our joy that way, and it's not there. That's when we willingly seek after Jesus and make room for him in our hearts. Where the temple of our hearts is filled by the Holy Spirit instead of other things, my brothers and sisters, i 've just barely touched the surface this morning of what we 'll be talking about this week, but I ask you, what is your desire for moving into the sanctuary you know across the, the parking lot and the road? Is it because you want to meet God there, and you will collectively do all that you can so that He can come in blessing and in power. Little short story. Some of you, many of you have probably heard of the Moravians. The Moravians experienced an amazing revival in 1727. The Moravians were led by a man by the name of Count Nicholas Zinzendorf. At the time, people were being persecuted and so too his little estate called Herdenhut. There were the, you know, some of the Anabaptists, people who were followers of Calvin. There were the, uh, The followers of John Hus, they were Moravians. And uh, these were people who were willing to contend for the faith. And when they all came together, they became contentious. Some had been killed because they felt that adults should be baptized instead of babies. And some followers of those who had had them killed were right there living with them. Zinzendorf went from person to person, sought them to seek God's blessings in unity. They prayed much together and on a Wednesday morning suddenly the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. In a moment they became a united happy people. And uh, they began sending missionaries out and sent out more missionaries in the next 25 years than multiple other people. And a few days later they began a a around the -the clock prayer uh, meeting. Uh, People drew lots to pray and uh, they ended up Praying like that for the next how many years? Who knows? Besides my wife. They would continue praying for the next 100 years. What do you think? My brothers and sisters, you've been called to be the light of the world. You cannot be apart from Jesus. But if you will allow Him to come into your heart, He will begin using you in ways you've never dreamed possible because it will be supernatural. And I pray by the grace of God, someday, as nice as the sanctuary is and as large as it is, there won't be near enough room because there'll be so many people that want to experience Jesus with you. That's my prayer. Let me pray. Father in heaven, you really love us. You loved us so much that you first had them set up a temple so that they could see through symbols and they could see through your presence, your glory, that that you wanted to be a part of them. This continued through the temple of Solomon and then through the second temple and, and you want to do it in our hearts as well. You knew that we couldn't on our own and so you sent Jesus. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, never made a single mistake. And today he says, no matter what your burdens are, no matter what your cares are, no matter what your past is, come to me. And I'll make all things new. You'll become in me a new creation. Oh, Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters will will want to come. This series of meetings isn't about me. It's about you and how much you love us and how you want to reach us. Please, Father, put it on their hearts to come. And, Father, if there are those who cannot come, might they make the commitment in their own hearts that, that by your grace, when they come to church next Sabbath that it will be a time of reconsecration, of giving themselves to you in such a way that when members come together, there will be a power that is supernatural. A power, Father, to whom the Holy Spirit will attract people who will appear at the back of the door and say the Holy Spirit said to come to your church today. Oh, Father, please, bless this week in a special way. Bless this week in a special way and have it start with each one of us right now.